The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here. And friends, it is good to be with you. If you're a guest or visitor, uh, we are glad that you're here. And uh, we are in the midst of a study in the book of Romans. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Romans chapter 15. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and we'll project the passage on the screens in just a moment. Uh, but we're uh, nearing the end of our time in Romans. Um, there are 16 chapters in this book, so one more chapter after this week and uh, two sermons uh, left after this week. And as Paul is nearing the end of this letter, as he's nearing his time and wrapping up these words that he sent off to the church at Rome, he, he's turning away from the disputable matters of the last few weeks. So for the last couple of weeks, he's been talking about the weak and the strong brother and sister and, and those who had uh, extra biblical convictions and those who were seeking to live in the freedom that Christ has afforded them. He was talking about these disputable matters, but now he's turned away from those matters and he's doing some reflecting on his own ministry and upon the, his hopes for the future. And, and really, he's reflecting upon the ministry that the church at large should have. He's reflecting on what it should look like for us to be the people of God, how it is that we are to live out our following in Christ, how we are to follow him. And so Paul writes, beginning in verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed." by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand." This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. 
When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I will come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And I do ask that you would, um, that you would change our hearts and our minds, and that you would uh, turn us more towards Christ, that we would point and direct others towards you, and that you would uh, equip us to do these things through this time. So use your word and your spirit to work and move in our lives. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. In 2009, uh, both Michael Jordan and David Robinson uh, were inducted into the NBA Hall of Fame. So Michael Jordan and David Robinson, two of the greatest players to ever play in the NBA, who had two very differing styles of play, right? Michael Jordan, quick, right? He was fast. He could dunk. He could fly through the air, shoot from outside. David Robinson, big and tall. He stayed under the goal, rebounds, put him back, right? Very different styles. And yet, they had many shared accomplishments. Both David Robinson and Michael Jordan were NBA and Olympic champions, They both had won the Rookie of the Year award in their first years in the league. They had both been named Defensive Player of the Year. They had won MVP awards. They were both regular all-stars, and they had their numbers retired by their respected teams. Both of them were named to, to the 50 greatest players list of all time. And in 2009, they both were inducted into the Hall of Fame. Now, have you ever seen in a Hall of Fame induction ceremony, whether it's in the NBA or MLB or NFL or whatever sport we might be talking about, you know that that at some point someone stands up and they speak about all the things that these people have done, right? All the great accomplishments. And then, then there's a time for the inductee to be able to stand and give a speech. And oftentimes they reflect back on their career and the things that made them great. And so there was Michael Jordan standing behind the lectern, and and that's what he did. He started reflecting on his career, and he spoke of all the things he accomplished. He spoke of his records. He he spoke of all his championships. He spoke of what he did and, and all the ways that he showed his greatness. When Michael Jordan was given a chance to speak, Michael Jordan spoke about Michael Jordan, and he pointed to himself. Now, David Robinson, when he had opportunity on that same day to speak, he gets behind the lectern, he gets up to the podium, and he starts reflecting on his career, but but he starts talking about his family. He looks at each one of his three boys, and he tells for all the thousands there and the millions who are watching at home, he, he goes one by one and shares how he's proud of them and why he's proud of them and, and the character that they have and the kind of men that they're becoming. He talked about his family, and he highlighted his teammates like Tim Duncan. Remember the Twin Towers, right? These two seven-footers who played alongside each other. He spoke well of Tim Duncan, and he praised his coaches for all that they invested in him. And they spoke of his organization that drafted him 
and afforded him the opportunity to play. David Robinson, when he was given the opportunity to speak, he didn't point to himself. He didn't speak of his own accomplishments. He pointed to others. You can go online. You can watch these two speeches on YouTube. In fact, some people have interposed them so you can see the contrast even more. But the difference is stark. One used his minutes to point to his own greatness, but another used his minutes to point to the greatness of another. And actually, if you've watched these videos, you know David Robinson is, is, is a strong believer of Jesus. He loves the Lord. And so in the midst of his speech, while he was singing the accomplishments and praises of others, he also pointed and spoke of Christ. He didn't point to himself. He pointed to another. And that's what we see Paul doing in our passage. You know, if there was a hall of fame of theologians, of evangelists, of missionaries. There's not one, and let's be thankful there's not, right? Like, uh, could you imagine the pride, <laughs> right? But if there were, if there was a hall of fame of theologians and evangelists and missionaries, I mean, the Apostle Paul would be a first ballot hall of famer, right? I mean, he would probably be considered the greatest missionary, the greatest evangelist, the greatest theologian, Right? We, we know what he did. He traveled far and wide to preach the gospel. He planted and started churches. He, he saw people repent and believe in the message that he proclaimed. And he performed miracles. For all of his efforts, for all of his abilities, for all of his works, you would think that if anyone could point to themselves, it would be the Apostle Paul. But instead of doing that, when he reflects on his life and ministry, he doesn't receive accolades and he doesn't point to himself, he points to Jesus. Right? That's what he does. In fact, that was what I was immediately struck by when I first read this passage days ago. I was struck by the, the centrality of Jesus in Paul's ministry. He lays out his ministry in the first few verses. In verse 15, he says, I've written to you very boldly, right? This book of Romans, this letter to the Romans, right? It's filled with beautiful theology and calling the people to, to respond to it. He's written to them boldly. In verse 16, he talks about how he was a minister to the Gentiles. He was in the priestly service of God. He offered the Gentiles as an offering. This is referencing back to Isaiah 61 and how Paul is fulfilling that promise of God that the Gentiles would be brought in. In verse 17, he speaks of the pride he has in his work. And in verse 19, he talks about how he came with power and signs and he traveled great distances to take the gospel to people who had not heard it. Jerusalem to Illyricum. This would have been as the crow flies just under a thousand a thousand miles. But in reality, by feet, it was closer, by foot, it would be closer to 2,000. He was willing to go from place to place, from, from land to land, from, from the farthest corners of the empire to take the gospel. And in verse 20, we're told that he desired to take the gospel to even those who had never heard it, to those in Spain. And we could keep going and talking about his ministry, couldn't we? 
We look at the book of Acts that describes his missionary journeys. We could turn to 1 Corinthians and Colossians and all his different epistles. And we could just pile it on more and more. All the things that Paul accomplished for the kingdom. If there was ever a goat, it was Paul. And yet, what does he say about all that he has done? Look at verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. I will speak of what Christ has done through me. Paul's accomplishments and his works, he doesn't deny them. He doesn't pretend that they didn't happen. But he uses them to point others to Christ and Christ's work in and through him. In verse 17, he says, In Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. He has rightly oriented pride. He's proud of his work, not because of himself, but because it's in Christ. He doesn't take credit for what he's done. He understands that all that he has done is because of Christ's work in and through him. You see, Paul understands that he is simply an instrument being played by the great musician. And y'all, when we hear music, right, beautiful music, we go to the orchestra, we hear the symphony, we hear a song on the radio, even on Sunday morning, right, when we sing a song and, and afterwards we're stirred, right, we're stirred in our heart, in our soul, and, and after singing a song, we, we don't praise the piano, right? That was a great song. What a beautiful piano we have, Right? We don't sing the praise of the violin or the guitar or the, the bassoon, right? We, we don't sing the praise of the instrument. We sing the praise of the musician. That it's the musician who made those instruments sing. We praise the one who plays them. Paul says in verse 18, I will venture, not venture, to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Paul understands that Christ is playing through him. And so he is pointing by his words and his deeds to Jesus. We see it in the rest of verse 18. Paul says, what Christ has accomplished through me to bring to the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonder, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ by word and deed. He was using his words and deeds to point to Jesus. So I wonder, I wonder what our words and deeds are pointing others to. I wonder if our words and our deeds agree with one another, if they align with one another. I mean, we're supposed to be people of the word, right? We know that we're supposed to proclaim the gospel. Paul's already talked about that in Romans. In chapter 10, he said, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, that we are to take the good news to others, that, that they, are, they are to hear it from our lips, that we are to be those who speak God's message of grace, and our deeds are to reflect that message. It was Emerson who once said, Don't say things, 
For what you are stands over you the while and thunders so that I cannot hear what you say to the contrary. In other words, if your words do not align with your actions, your actions will carry the day. And we know this, don't we? I mean, we can talk about grace and forgiveness and mercy and kindness and love and truth. We can talk about those things till we're blue in the face, but but if our actions reflect the very opposite of those things, what will people believe about us? Well, our actions. And they should. You see, our words, not just with our words, but, but with our deeds, we are going to point people to someone or something. So are we pointing to Christ? Do we preach grace and are gracious? Right? Are we people who proclaim mercy and are merciful? Do we promote generosity and are generous? Do we speak of forgiveness and are forgiving? You see, friends, it is by word and deed that we point to Christ. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 5, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, it is by our deeds that we should be pointing others to the Lord, to Christ, that our deeds would come in line with our words. That's what Paul's helping us to see. That when Christ has changed us, that when our life is centered upon him, then we are going to point others to Christ. But we're not just going to be those who point. We're also going to be people who provide. In verses 22 through 25, Paul uh, talks about bringing assistance to the church at Jerusalem. Now, this is in reference to a historical event that took place. You can read about it in Acts chapter 20 and 24, also in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. But what was occurring was there, there had been a famine in the area of Jerusalem. And so there were people who were suffering because of the famine. And so Paul went around to the different churches like Macedonia and Achaia, and he started taking up a collection and offering to help those people in need. We see it in verses 26 through 27. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessing. Okay, do you hear the language that Paul uses? They owe it to them. Now, this is language of a debt. What Paul is saying is that they, they have to give, that they are obligated to give. But this obligation to provide for those in need it wasn't through gritted teeth. It wasn't through anger. It wasn't because they were guilt-ridden, right? Like, fine, Paul, twist my arm. I'll give a little bit, right? That, that's not what's going on here. In fact, in verse 26, we hear that they were pleased to make some contribution to the poor. They were pleased to do it. They had joy in contributing to the poor, in providing for those in need. And Why? Well, not so they could get a tax deduction at the end of the year, right? Not so they could write it off. No, they were pleased to provide for those in need because they knew that they were once in need themselves. 
In need, not physically, but in need spiritually. Did you hear what Paul says at the end of verse 27? For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. You see, what Paul is saying is that the Gentiles, those who were once far from God's people, those who were once outside of the promises of God, those who were once dead in their sins and trespasses, when they have received the spiritual blessing of Christ, when they have been made new and alive, when they recognize that it is only through what Christ has done on the cross that they have life, that when they share in this blessing, they want to be a blessing. It's going to overflow this sharing of spiritual blessing into a desire to provide physical blessing. And so that's what they do. They're a service to those in need, even physical and material need. Because this is what God's people do. I mean, this, this is what they're going to do at La Casa, right? We just heard that. They're going and they're caring for those in need, like orphans, right? And providing medical care for people who maybe wouldn't have it, right? This is what they're doing. And, and it's not just in our short-term missions trips. It's not just in supporting missionaries, but, but it's in supporting and caring for one another that we care for one another's physical needs and material needs. But it's out of an outflow, overflow of Christ's care for us. You see, because of what Christ has done, that he has allowed us to share in the spiritual blessing that he gives, we're to be a people who provide for the needs of others. And we point others to Christ. And finally, Paul says we're to be a people who pray. Our passage ends in verse 30 and following. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayer to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. He says, strive with me in prayer. Now I have to tell y'all, it is very, very easy to think of prayer as just kind of an afterthought, right? Like it's kind of a side thing that we do, right? We say prayers maybe when we get up. We say prayers before a meal. We say prayers before we go to bed, right? We bow our head in prayer on Sunday. But, but really, you know, the rest of the time, it's, it's kind of just something, you know, it, it's really not doing anything. That's kind of how we treat it, Okay. Now, I know none of y'all are going to shake your head yes at that because you don't want anyone else to see, right? But, but isn't that how we treat it often? Like, it feels so passive. It feels like we're not really doing anything, right? I mean, if we're going to be working for ministry, if we're going to be working for the kingdom of God, don't we need to share the gospel and help the needy and be present with the grieving and teach our children all the ways that they are to go? Those are tangible things to show for our efforts, right? What did you do today, honey? Well, I prayed. <laughs> That's it? Really? Is that what they're paying you for? <laughs> I mean, that's how it can feel, right? Do we have anything to show for it? It can feel extremely passive, and we don't like to be passive. We want to be active. But y'all, in prayer, we are actually doing one of the most important things we can be doing. 
Because in prayer, what we are acknowledging is our dependence on God and our need for him to work and move and be active. You see, a prayerlessness is actually a reflection of self-dependency. But prayerfulness is recognizing that if anything that we do or say or act or anything that we desire, if it's going to be successful, it will only be because of God. And so we are to be a people who pray. And Paul knows that his endeavors, his service, his going to Rome, his desire to go to Spain, he knows that what he needs is for God to allow him to do it, to open paths for him to pursue. He knows that he needs God's people to labor with him in prayer. Right? That's what he said. Pray that God would deliver him from the unbelievers, right? That he would be released. He didn't say, hey, take up arms and come get me, right? He didn't say, send all your money, right? I'm I'm sure he would have been fine with doing that, right? Send it to Jerusalem. But what he says is pray that the Lord would work. Prayer, friends, isn't a side note. It's actually an invaluable part of the life of the church. That's why some of us give ourselves to prayer every Wednesday morning. And why we provide opportunity every other Wednesday night for us to come together in prayer. That's why we have a ministry of our church, right? A group of women who their sole purpose in doing this ministry is to pray for the church. To pray for other women and the work of the church in our place. Like, that is all that they do. And that is valuable, It's why our elders spend time at every single session meeting praying for y'all. Because prayer isn't a side note. It's not something we put on the shelf. It's not something we just take down when we're in need because we are always in need. Prayer is part of of the value, of a valuable part of laboring with the church. We're called to labor in prayer. We're to depend upon God. We are to look to him to work and move. This is what we do, friends, when Christ has changed us. This is what we do when we have received the spiritual blessings of Christ. We pray and we provide and we point. You know, millions of people have watched that video and listened to Michael Jordan and David Robinson reflect on their careers and lives. Millions of people. There were thousands that day, but, but millions since. Millions had witnessed the opportunity that was afforded these two NBA players to talk about their lives and their careers. And very few of us will ever be afforded that sort of audience, right? Very few of us will ever give a speech before thousands of people, and probably none of us will have our words go viral for millions to hear and listen to. Maybe maybe we should be thankful for that. But that's not what we're called to be. Um, Just because millions won't hear our words and thousands won't see our lives, it doesn't mean that our lives and our words are of no consequence. It doesn't mean that, that, that our calling to follow Christ and to make him known, that, that that is of little consequence. No, it just means that's not what we're called to. But what we are called to is those who have shared in the spiritual blessings of Christ. What we are called to is to live in this place, in this moment, in this day, 
before God and others, laboring in prayer for one another, providing for those who are in need, and pointing others to the source of true blessing by our words and deeds pointing to Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you uh, have allowed us to share in the spiritual blessings of Jesus. And we pray that you would help us to be men and women that would give of ourselves in prayer, that we would see the needs around us and we would provide for those in need and that in our words and through our deeds, we would point others to Jesus, the one who showers us with spiritual blessing. Father, make us a people pleased to do these things so that your ways would be known and glory would be given to you. And we pray all this in Christ's name and God's people said together, amen.